We're back. I'm back. Jan Lee's texting. And it's season two, send. episode nine. There we go. The Master Keys podcast. I'm Neil Andrino. I'm Chandler Halliburton, and it says here that my parking spot only has 15 minutes left, but I put three hours in. Okay, this is, this is the classic. I didn't put any money on mine. But uh, today, we're doing a little different episode. We have a guest with us today. Uh, I'll go ahead and just quickly name drop. It's the conscious builder, Casey Gray. He's zooming in. So I guess you'll see him online, but you'll be able to hear him here. And uh, we're going to be discussing some of the stuff of what he does in passive homes, yeah. energy efficiency, some stuff that you guys can do and take home to do on your house. Um, just everything around that. Yeah, and it's becoming an interesting thing too because with a lot of the funding that's coming down the pipeline for larger scale projects, you're going to get really favorable financing if you hit some of these energy efficiency targets. So we're going to talk a little bit more about residential stuff with Casey, but just it's, it's a, a very pertinent topic for people looking to build multis as well. So Yeah, CMHC is going to really start to like it. They already do, um, but they're, they're going to start adding more and more to that and make it a requirement for everybody. Uh, on the multi-unit side. I'm sure it'll end up on residential too. Well, I think there sort of is and there's rebate stuff, but Casey can tell us a bit more about that. Yeah. Um, quick news recap. We're not going to do a whole lot of uh, what's going on in our personal lives unless you got anything too crazy. Nothing too exciting right now. Cool, cool. Uh, I think I'm close to that 12 unit. We have an agreement of principle. We need to iron out the actual little brass tacks on it. but The items. Yeah, yeah, but feel pumped about that. Um, rates on the rise though. We need to highlight this a little bit quickly here for people because this is this matters to you. If you're out now looking to buy whatever you're looking to purchase, the rates are increasing. We talked yep. about that this was inevitable. In fact, the small 0.25% increase is less than what's probably going to happen long term. But Yeah, it's the fact you know, that it's another rate hike when there was one not that long ago. Um, they're expecting yep. to do more through the year. And additionally, a lot of people were thinking that they would hold off just with some of the concerns and turmoil that's taking place but they're progressing and moving forward with that. Um, so again, just with everything combined, things going on overseas, uh, oil is continued to go up and is expecting to go up, what are they, 110 a barrel now, they're thinking potentially as high as like 140, 150 a barrel, um, which is crazy. You'll face at the pumps, you'll yep. face on everything you do because your transportation costs, shipping costs, all that will go up and it'll continue to feed the inflation. So just keep in mind that, yeah, the rate hikes will help to slow down the inflation, but in the midterm, in the short term, you're going to face inflation and the rate hikes. And so you're going to have to budget that and understand how that's going to impact your daily life and then how that's going to impact the investor's world and the real estate yeah. world and, and, and everything you do uh, on that front. And you, you've already seen the market kind of take some pullback to it, um, but this is going to continue. There's all these opposing forces and, and factors going on here where normally with this amount of inflation, you automatically jack the rates, but the feeling they can't jack the rates right now because of the global uncertainty and the fact that it's going to hurt people who already have debt and we're coming out of a, uh, you know, a recession, a pandemic based recession, recession, a lot of sectors. So how can you hike the rates during that going on? But you know, there's some thought we got to slow down this housing market and traditionally you raise the rates to do that for what it's worth. This, um, small increase, how does it actually affect your payment? Um, if you were borrowing $500,000 with a typical 5% down, your payment has gone up by $57 a month, which isn't huge. No. It's not a big difference, uh, and it won't affect your borrowing ability because you would have been pre-approved uh, based on the stress test. So we talked about stress tests before. They effectively approve you for your mortgage based on a higher rate to cover you in the event that rates increase, but they actually lock you in at a lower rate. So those of you that are pre-approved, um, it's not like your, your buying power is going to immediately decrease 
That said, um, if you don't have a, a rate hold yet, you should be locking in a rate hold. Talk to your mortgage professional now because these rates are going to continue to creep up. And those of you that have an existing one, check your timer on it because now you have a rate that is below the market rate that you could get today. So it may be advantageous to buy within that window. Two things I'm just going to add on to that is it is only 57 bucks, but that's $700 a year of after-tax money. Yeah. Which is like, you're not going to just blink at 700 bucks. Like that's not well, a purchase that you just throw out the, out the window. Yeah, it's also effectively um, 15,000 bucks of mortgage in, in a weird way to think of it that way. Yeah. Um, so a home that cost 515,000 or 500,000 and had one payment after these new rates, it's the same as if you bought it for 515. Well, and so I saw an interesting stat with inflation combined with the increase in rate hikes. So on top of houses going up 25%, once you factor in the inflationary costs and the interest rate costs that's gone up, it's actually 40% more expensive to buy a house. So although the price is up 25, there's an additional 15% in extra cost to buy, own, operate that home yeah. as it was to last year. Yeah, so get, get your rates locked in. Make sure you have a, a good understanding of what rate hold you have if you've got a pre-existing rate. Yeah. So, but let's dive in here with Casey. Casey Gray, the conscious builder. Uh, we're going to link all of the important details to Casey kind of in, in our social medias as well so you can check out everything that he's up to. But thanks so much, Casey. Where are you joining us from today? I'm from Ottawa. Nice. That's where Lovely. I'm born and raised. Oh, really? See, I didn't know that. You yeah. bounce around, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 14 <laughs> years there. Where in Ottawa are you, Casey? Uh, right now, I live in Manitick, so south south of the city. Yeah. Uh, I grew up in Orleans, though, East End. Oh, nice. Okay, yeah, I went to school in Orleans and grew up in Canada. Yeah. I don't know Canada very well. It's always Go been senators. east. Ended up going, ended up going south. Yeah, <laughs> now we're starting yeah. to get calls, right? Because we do a lot of renovations. We're kind of all over. Yeah. But it's been mostly in the center of the city in the older houses. But now it's starting to move into like Orleans, Canada areas for renovations too. Yeah. And that city is growing like a weed as well. Things are nuts. Huge Wild. price growth. Like it's it's nuts, right? Manitick, Manitick's gone up the most. Uh, last number I saw was it went up 75%. Cheap seventy five. We're talking year over year. Seventy five percent since two years. So two years ago. Two years. Okay. So since this started, to I think when I saw this number was two months ago. It yeah. increased the average sale price went up seventy five percent. That's insane. Mm-hmm. Almost double. Um, big pop. Yeah. So Casey, like maybe we we'll get you to introduce yourself first. Um, you're GC, and you're also I would say a specialist in passive homes. Um, do you want to give us a little bit of background on, on what you do and, and give that intro? Sure. I guess on the construction side of the background, I'm a carpenter by trade, been doing it almost 20 years at this point, but been in business on my own for about 12 years, going on 12 years, and been doing passive homes, certified passive homes for first one we started about nine years ago at this point. So essentially just been layering on to my carpentry experience. I don't swing the hammer much at all yeah. <laughs> anymore. I did on a, on a couple of projects last year. We're so busy. Uh, might happen again because we're so busy again. Hopefully we can find some good guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But we kind of bring that and we do custom homes, major renovations, energy retrofits, not all passive, but usually net zero energy or net zero energy ready uh, or R2000, something along those lines. So always above minimum building code because what we're doing is for homeowners, right? It's right. typically gotcha. not for investors, but uh, there is an opportunity for investors too for longer term, depending on how you set up your building. Yeah, and things are kind of skewing in that direction. Um, maybe not as prevalent of, uh, if you're a proactive homeowner, but with financing the CMHC programs, they are looking more towards um, 
uh, efficient buildings. Energy costs are starting to go up too, right? So it's driving people to do it. I find there's a lot of different terminology out there. We've mentioned the word passive home a couple times. You said the word net zero. Um, Can you explain a couple of those terms, but then also uh, walk us through what the conscious build means as opposed to maybe those two terms that people have heard? Sure. So if we start with building code, building code is essentially the worst house that you're allowed to build by law. Right. right. So yeah, exactly. that, that's what building code is. <laughs> Sounds good. I'll take it. Yeah. 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 How much? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that, you know, as investors, that's usually what we have to do, but that's not what we do here. Uh, we, we've obviously car- call, carved out a niche for ourselves, but when you go up from there, uh, building codes always changing, right? Every four or five years, the code changes, it gets better, yep. uh, which is good. They're starting to implement more building science practices. Um, next up would be like energy star and energy star is about 20% better than minimum building code. Okay. Uh, yeah. That's fairly frequently. And is Energy Star federal? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's yeah. that's across. That's in the U.S. as well, right? There's all. It's you know you see it on appliances, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Right. We see it on TVs, like all, all sorts of stuff. So that's pretty standard. Now the thing is, is like an Energy Star home that was built five years ago is actually minimum building code now, because hmm. it, everything okay. continues to change. So uh, none of that. I, I don't think that's a great standard to to aim for either, because yeah, it's going to change. Um, Beyond that, you get into, I would say, LEED certification would be yep. next after that, partly because LEED is based on a point system. You don't see it in residential a lot. It's mostly commercial. That's right, yeah. But it's also based on, like, you get points, for example, if you're doing a big commercial building and you don't have parking spaces, you get points for that because it's like, oh, well, you have to take public transit to get there. <laughs> yeah, and if you have Which a is, charging station. Yeah, or I saw one that, yeah. like, if your building included a shower and implied that people could bike or run to work, <laughs> then you got yeah. a LEED point. If you had a place, this was a weird one, you had a place to put your shoes outside the door so that you didn't bring moisture into the building. <laughs> that got you a point as well. Yeah. <laughs> Some of these are, are pretty funny, but building yeah. building like the the code here, not the code, sorry, but the planners here. You need so much parking, you can't even achieve lead if you have to get your permit. Yeah, but that said, I am getting some stuff for having uh, charging stations and bike racks and, and things yeah, like true, that. True, but true, yeah, true. so lead you see a lot in commercial, but beyond lead, what else you got? Then you get into like R2000. R2000 okay. would be like 50% better. Lead varies from 40 to 60%, but it, you know, it actually could be just the same as minimum building code in some cases, depending on how you get your points, right? right. So I'm not as experienced in that world. Like I said, it doesn't really come up too much in residential. So yeah, then we go to R2000 and then, or sorry, um, I should have thrown in the new net zero one before that. Uh, net zero is 30 to 40% better uh, from building code. So the way net zero is set up, there's... It's, it's new. It's brought by uh, CHBA, the Canadian Home Building Association. And it's based on the fact that you design a home that could be net zero if you put solar panels on. So it kind okay. of factors right. into how efficient uh, the building okay. is and then how much roof space you have for the solar panels. And then presumably, but you also need to factor in if you can get approved for location it as well. Right. And presumably how you angled the home and, yeah. you know, your electrical and stuff like that. Yeah, so it takes into account all the appliances and so forth and what they're expect. Obviously, there's modeling and there's reality. We can get into stuff like that mm-hmm. too, but it, it obviously has to model it to some extent. So it's going to look at the orientation, how much you, as part of the process, you would go to a solar contractor and be like, well, how much energy could I produce with my roof? Right. right? And that gets the country, you could achieve that in a totally different way. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. No doubt. No exactly. Way. And it, yeah, so all of that plays into, you know, plays into effect but obviously if you're doing like an infill property the house has to be positioned a certain way and then you just have to work with the roof mm-hmm. as it is so it's not it's it's usually possible um, but some houses are easier than other 
other homes. Right. Uh, and then we get into like the certified passive homes, which is typically like 80% better than code uh, or more. And there's two different levels. There's passive house international and there's passive house us. And it's, it, they vary a little bit. Uh, passive houses us will definitely change depending on where you're building it. But that's once again, is all done on modeling a certified passive house in California is almost, you know, not much better than minimum building code here in Canada, right? right. Because we're dealing with a completely different climate. Yeah, when I watch those renovation shows down the states, like no foundation, no insulation, it doesn't matter. There's like they don't have to together. worry about the cold, they don't yeah. worry about the freeze. Yeah. No, no, no concern for a frost line or, or anything like that. But so, he, so here, I guess, what would be what would get you for passive house then? Like, what do you, what's quantifying that? It's not so, really based on eighty percent of it. It's, it. There's a list of things, or no? It's based on how much electricity you use. Like you have to hit a certain ACH, which is air changes per hour, which would be 0.6 or less. Uh, it the calculation changes right, when okay. you get into passive house US, but I'll just go with the international for now. Yeah. Um, so that that's an important aspect. If you don't hit that, you won't get certification. But then sure. it's based on how much energy the house is. Uh, is going to use. And obviously heating, cooling, and hot water are a big part of that. So all of that gets factored in to the calculations for that home. So the home, in order to hit, at least here in Ottawa, to hit a certified passive home, the least amount of insulation, to give you an idea, that we put in our walls was our 73 and a half. Okay. Our 73 and a half. Okay. What's code? Like regular building code? 20 in the uh, walls? Our, ooh, the new code is our, it depends on which package you choose, but let's just call it like R25. For right. conversation. Okay. Right. So that makes sense because that's R20 in your walls and then you have a level wall product that's R4 underneath your yeah. vinyl. And then if I think the Tyvek is like R1, you roll those <laughs> together, you get your R25. Um, but the thing that a buddy of mine is really into this and he's a super smart guy, the thermal break of the studding changes that supposed R25 down to, I don't know, R16 because your studs are these breaks, like They're you have conductive. all these insulation holes. Yeah. So when you guys are doing something like that, are you going with ICF or are you framing out the walls differently and putting a thermal break to get to that R73? Yeah, so thermal breaks are really important. Uh, and that's why exterior continuous in insulation is important. And it really depends on what you're putting for cladding. Uh, we can like the typical homes that we've done for getting to a certified passive house level, it's been a double stud wall with exterior continuous insulation as well. Right. Uh, so, but you know, if we're doing the net zero, it could just be your typical two by six wall with two, three, four, five inches of insulation on the outside, which right. obviously adds complexities for other things. Uh, but those are all, it, it really depends on, on what your goal is to accomplish that, but getting rid of thermal breaks, having that continuous insulation is extremely important for the performance and the comfort of a home. Yeah. Occasionally we'll do home inspections here and they've got the heat gun for lack of a better a thermal term, gun, yeah. a thermal gun. And you can see all the studs in the wall and how they conduct cold energy. The more dense those, something yeah. is, the faster that it'll conduct. So exactly. Yeah, so yeah. the wood is actually substantially more dense than the insulation. Yeah. So those are all kind of the code terminology. What then is a conscious build? Like, you know, you are the conscious builder. That's your business model and everything. What, how do you describe that to people? What that means? So the word conscious, if you break it down, it's really a state of awareness, right? And most people don't, know that much about their homes, right? They're not aware of what's possible. Uh, a lot of people who reach out to us now are very aware. They're doing the research, hence why they find us. 
But I see our role because of what we're doing in terms of doing custom. It's it's not a one size fits all. We, you know, we're we're doing every project's different. Uh, it's my role to bring forward all of the information to the client that they need so that they can make a conscious decision. Some people will be more focused on their carbon footprint. Other people will be more focused on just reducing the overall energy, energy consumption. Right. Um, some people are more focused on health, but uh, energy savings. Uh, most clients who are reaching out to us are, are looking at the dollar value, but they're actually looking a lot at the actual energy that you're using, right? Because right. when they're when they're doing their homes, they're looking long-term, right? right. The, the, a lot of the stuff that we do isn't, you're not going to get your money back like in a year and most investments don't do that, right? So it's kind of funny when people look at it and be like, what's the payback for my investment? And, and they expect to get paid back in like two years, but right. very few investments actually do a two-year yeah, yeah. Uh, payback. Yeah. Or a lot. So it's kind of funny how people look, at, look into doing some of this work. However, I see why they're looking at that because if you plan on selling your house fairly quickly, the market just doesn't see value in a lot of this stuff. They just see value in what looks pretty, right? And yeah. uh, I think that's starting to shift though based on a lot of the conversations I'm having with people these days. Yeah, what are you yeah. seeing out there when, when buyers you know, meet one of these homes that you have? I mean, here, we're always late adopters here on the East Coast. We just are. I mean, we barely figured out natural gas a few years ago. <laughs> Heat pumps now are considered like cutting edge energy efficiency. And... But increasingly, there was a push towards solar. Uh, and it's been in the news a lot here locally because uh, our power provider, Nova Scotia Power, which is the only option you have here for, for uh, power, they were going to start charging people who had solar panels an access fee, essentially, as a way of a, a fee for accessing the grid, which was going to further reduce some of the savings that these panels... Basically um, destroy completely. Yeah, yeah. You you would cut down any reason even even to have it. And this started a larger conversation with uh, a friend of mine about how people actually value these panels anyway, because out here people don't know that much about them and most people finance them. So I've done deals where the seller still owed $30,000 yeah, on those solar panels and we're paying it off at $150 a month. And the new buyer comes along who just wants a house, right? They don't know you know, anything about home efficiency, passive, solar, whatever. They just want the home and all of a sudden they're being told they've got to pay an extra $150 a month and they have no intention of being in that home for the remaining 25 years of that. So I, th- I think what it's been though for here, like as much as Atlantic Canada is a late, late adopter, Casey, is like, I think our prices weren't there, honestly. Like I, I think it was hard for yeah. people to justify throwing down, like none of these, none of these efficiency systems we can say are ultra cheap. And like you're saying, you're not seeing the return immediately. So it's sometimes hard for somebody to say, look, my house is only worth X and it's only going to be worth this much in the future because, again, our homes yeah. were not appreciating for a long time to then say, oh, I'm going to drop $50,000 on something that's going to save me 2% on a yearly basis. When your home's worth three fifty, And my house yeah. is worth three fifty. So I think now we're starting to see it come on board. So you're starting to see some ICF. I'm starting to see ads with our 2000 written in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm seeing a few more people put solar panels on. That one's still a tough one just because, obviously, our distribution grid is also owned by NSP. And they don't seem super keen on it. Well, and now we have a lot of uncertainty in the market. And anytime there's uncertainty, people are sort of hesitant to do that. Yeah. Um, Casey, wow. what are you telling people uh, is the return on investment for something like a solar product, or um, if you hit this, um, you know, the, the, this certified passive home? Um, like I guess what would you? What is your typical price per square foot? I know these are broad stroke uh, valuations. And what do you think is the return on on some of these individual items? Well, the only one that we really do and are 
solar contractor will do it is the is the solar panels, right? What's your payback on that? And it's typically in the seven to ten year. It's usually oh, lower. That's better. Somewhere than here. in the seven yeah. to ten year yeah. payback, at least here. And uh, like electricity is pretty expensive here. Yeah. So that uh, a lot of the times makes sense, especially with the interest free loan program that's happening in Ottawa right now too. Although it's extremely slow <laughs> we'll get into that so we don't really get into a lot of the passive house calculating um in terms of a payback because they're not they a lot of them do it themselves or they're just interested in it and they want mm-hmm. to build better and that it's more about comfort and health at that right. point the mm-hmm. the energy savings uh, and the efficiency is a side effect it's a bonus mm-hmm. uh, and like i said i believe that it will have value in the long run once the requirement for energy evaluations is done before somebody sells a home, for example, right. all the homes that we've built are going to be way more valuable right. uh, that, that we've built over the years. Um, I just want to go back to, if you don't mind, uh, yeah. I, heard, I heard you mention ICF a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, I'd also be careful with the way some products are marketed. ICF mm-hmm. is not as efficient as ICF manufacturers tell you it is they it's yeah. not r50 you know what i mean yeah it's not if you talk to energy advisors who knew what they're know what they're doing especially in the passive house world that's not how it's calculated you know you can only really take one side of the icf you can't take both sides because mm-hmm, right. once the temperature hits the concrete oh it, i see it what you're saying yeah yeah doesn't yeah. affect right so there's a lot of you, you got to make sure that when you're getting into projects like this and thinking this way that you have the right people on your team to give you the right information That makes sense. That was my other hesitation about doing it out here is uh, for a while, and there's a couple good passive and solar home builders here now, but for a while, you couldn't get really a a good answer from anyone on what it would cost, how well it works, um, return on investment, all these things. Uh, It's so new. It's so new, and I think people struggle. I think think it really was like it didn't make sense to go crazy with the homes. And and even like you're seeing, I think, it's like you're saying, is most people are doing this more so for than a return. Uh, They're more doing it for a comfort and a health um, and some of them want to see see the just their bills reduced, even though they know that they're paying it up front. They're maybe seeing it as an equity thing in their house as well. Um, so I think that's proofing. yeah, yeah. So t- tell me about this. You mentioned that it's not just about efficiency and energy savings, but about the health of the home. What do you mean by that? So when you look at a home, like you have to look at a home as a system, right? Most people don't look at it as a home, especially sub trades when they're coming in and do the work. They're just looking at their individual parts of the building, but everything works together. So when you look at a home, think of it like your body, right? You have your skin that you perspire through. That's kind of like your layer of protection to some extent. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have your lungs that you breathe through uh, that's, you know, that, you know, you breathe in through your nose, it gets filtered and then you breathe out the bad stuff, right? And it, and as part of it, your house needs to do the same sort of thing. So the idea is that you want to make your home as airtight as possible. And usually I say, well, don't you need your home to breathe? And I say, yes, but you want to mechanically ventilate it, like breathing right. through your lungs yep. as opposed to breathing through your skin. You don't want to breathe through your skin. That's not good. Yeah. <laughs> right? So the the idea is, is to make it as airtight as possible, but then allow your your wall assembly, your skin, to be able to sweat if need be. So that means that your wall can be permeable, but not allow air to travel through it. And what that does is that it allows you to have... T- air coming into your building through the fresh air system, which we recommend in the RV 24 seven, mm-hmm. right? So the, the, this runs 24 seven, it's constantly bringing fresh air in. it's constantly getting rid of stale air. As the stale air leaves, it preconditions the air coming into the home. And as the air comes into the home, it gets filtered. 
right? right? So if you yeah. live in the city, it's beneficial. Uh, if you're living anywhere where there's any pollutants outside, it's it's beneficial and it's always yeah. running. Whereas if you run, for example, a bathroom fan or a kitchen rain shed that vents outside, or even a dryer for that matter, as that's blowing air outside, that has to that air has to be replaced in the house somehow. And what what's it going to do? Well, it's going to suck in air through all the leaky spots in your wall. Right. And if you have mold in your wall, if you have uh, products with high VOCs or any chemicals, insulation with formaldehyde, anything like that house. that's in your walls, that all just gets sucked into your into your house. So by ventilating through this way, it's actually making the house more unhealthy as opposed to healthy. We've had a bit of an issue with that here with radon gas. I don't know if radon gas is prevalent in Ottawa area or not. Yeah, but it's one of the worst areas in Canada. Actually. Oh, really? Okay. So, I mean, for those that don't know, radon is this off gas that comes from rocks basically underneath the foundation of your house. And it's be, been a, more of an issue with some of these new construction homes where people would make the homes really tight and then they don't balance their air exchanger or their air exchanger fails or they're not running it. And then effectively, like you said, you create this negative pressure in the house and it's drawing all the gases in from underneath the foundation. And that's how radon gets into the house. That's sort of the, the idea you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, radon remediation, though, is done through a different system, right? So yeah, the idea is that fan, you have yeah. to have the system yeah. separately. Yeah. So you don't want to really necessarily rely on your, your fresh air system to get rid of radon. You would add a separate system for that. Yeah. Yeah, gotcha. but it's it's, uh, it's interesting to think of it because people make these homes so tight and they don't necessarily think of the, some of the consequences of that. Yeah, the uh, I guess we've alluded to it a few times here now. We keep kind of suggesting like returns and things like that. Can we dive into the pricing and the numbers, kind of what you're seeing as, I'm not sure if you have like price per square foot or what the additional cost would be in comparison when you're building one of these homes relative to, we'll say a standard code home uh, that most of the spec houses are built to. Uh, like what what is the additional cost and then the other thing is maybe timeline on, on how that's impacting that because nowadays timelines are getting to be insane i don't know what it's like there in ontario but it's very long here now um so if, it, if it's adding to that or is it maybe sometimes making it better uh but more so what you're seeing on pricing right off the hop yeah so it's hard to give exact numbers because we're not doing spec homes everything we do is custom yeah. mm-hmm. um but what i can tell you is like where you'll spend the extra money so i, I don't know which which areas you're going to but if you're building even if you're going to net zero, like the mm-hmm. idea between or what you need to spend more money on when you build a more efficient home would be your envelope, uh, which is your windows and doors. So you're going to go to triple glaze. You don't have to go to like passive house certified if you're not going for certification, but mm-hmm. just going to a good performing triple pane window is all you need to do. And usually those are only going to be about 15, 20% more than the double pane. What's option. the air value on one of those? Uh, it's going to vary. Uh, once again, look into the window itself because a lot of times window companies will give you the R value of like the center of the glass, but that's where it performs the best. You need to take the glass, the spacer, and the frame all together. Right. So the best performing the windows are probably yeah. getting into like R9, yeah, somewhere yeah. around there, which is but, really, really good. Yeah, yeah. But most are not performing that good. Yeah, everyone's sort of like, oh, I got these nice, new, efficient windows. It's like, well, one, they have to be installed correctly. And two, the reality is the most efficient, like off the rack, you know, you can buy it just uh, a regular window is maybe like R4 or something, R5. Yeah, even that probably is is looking at the glass only and not the spacer and the frame and calculating it all together. Windows are usually factored into U U values, right? So it's the inverse of R value. So it can be, it's kind of a a tricky world. Um, But so anyway, so you spend more money on that. Yeah, envelope's the big one. What else? Yeah, so it'll be windows and doors, and then you're going to spend more on doing proper air sealing details and more insulation. Um, And in theory, you can save money on your 
heating and cooling system because by reducing the heating and cooling demand, you can put in a smaller system. Isn't that where like everyone always tries to come up with, you know, solar this or I've got this better unit here. But at the end of the day, it sounds like you're saying it comes down to insulation, really. You can pump a bunch uh, of solar air onto Air ceilings, I would say air ceilings more important than insulation. And I'll, and I'll give you another really? analogy for, for that. Hmm. Think of a big down jacket. You know, it's probably cold out where you are today. What's the temperature yeah. there? I don't know, actually. I've, but it was snowing this morning. It's mild now. It's probably five. like around five. Five degrees, yeah. Uh, okay, it's pretty warm there. Yeah. Uh, it's cold. <laughs> it's a balmy five um, degrees. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so let's just say it was like minus 20 degrees outside and mm -hmm. you went outside with a big, you know, Canada goose jacket, but you had the zipper undone and you mm -hmm. faced the wind. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't matter how much insulation you have. It's useless if you have the zipper open. Right. Right. You need to zip it up and have the insulation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, the windbreaker would keep you warmer than an unzipped uh, Canada goose jacket. Okay, right? I got to ask this because I hear this all the time and a few inspectors have brought it up to me then. Air exchangers, like if they're not properly run or like set up, they can be a huge draw. Or if they don't have heat recovery, honey. Or they yeah. don't have heat recovery. They can be a huge draw on the efficiency of your home, can they not? Because they're just pumping in. Like people have them running on full blast right now and they're pumping the cold air into their house. Uh, is that not a huge concern then for being able to keep the home efficiently run? Yes and no. Like to some extent, if you're not running it, yeah, I guess you can save some energy, but you're going to be affecting the health. But the idea is that it depends on how efficient the unit is. So the idea is that if it's minus 20 outside and you're running it through this system, it's not going to uh, be minus 20 degree air coming inside because that air leaving the house is going to precondition the air coming into the house. Yeah, that's right? the so, heat recovery component of these newer ones. Exactly. Yeah. So yes, I guess it can. But at the same time, if you don't have your building airtight, well, that just because of stack effect, you go down in your basement, you're going to feel all sorts of cold air coming into your house. Yeah. Oh, I just, I right? see a lot so, of clients with them unplugged that say like, yeah. you know what, this is killing my efficiency in my house. Like more than anything else I've done, unplugging this. Well, that's because they never know how to use them. And then there's always that one like, Oh, that one's blowing the cold air in here. And, and they yeah. turn it off for that. But also correct me if I'm wrong here, but fresh dry air is easier to heat than stale damp air. Right. So people think they're yeah. going to save energy, but they're actually making it harder to heat their home. By doing that it comes down to comfort right yeah. but that's why you you can't just look at one component and say that this is what it's doing you have to look at everything together and see how it works together right and 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 a big part of the the hrb is really adding to that we spend more time indoors than we think uh and if we don't take care of that indoor air quality we're going to feel it in our health right so it's somewhat of a insurance policy it's helping us as well when you leave a house like when you leave your homes for a vacation and you come back two weeks later, does your house smell good or does it smell like it, you know, it <laughs> must honest, clean the fridge up before answer, I left. Or, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, before, before we jump off this, I want to like get, I think people are going to really want to know some costing uh, and a little bit more detail. So we said the windows are 15 to 20% more. Um, and you said obviously there's more insulation and there's the extra stuff for uh, getting the air tightness. What do you see for insulation? I think that can be a lot more than 15 to 20% more. Like I was just actually on the phone with my insulator for our buildings and to upgrade the insulation levels and do an extra layer of it, it becomes a lot more than let's say 15% because the actual insulation itself is substantially more expensive, the better quality stuff. And then obviously we have to add an extra layer. So it's, it's becoming double to, to get that. So do, what would you say, do you think that someone's going to spend relative the, to code to get to, let's say passive house standard, how much more are they going to spend on that insulation? Uh, well, to getting the passive house standard, that's a whole different world, right? So you're probably going to spend, like you're putting uh, four times more insulation in, 
Right. Yeah. yeah. Essentially, it's right. So it's going to yeah. be four times the price for that. So that doesn't mean that the, the house is four times the yeah. price. That totally just means understood. the insulation yeah. portion of it is is four times the price. 100%. Just trying to get some, some sort of gauge because I already know 100 yeah. people are going to ask this question of like, what does it actually boil down to? Yeah. And I'm not saying, yeah, it's not going to be four times your house cost, but you're saying insulation could be about four times the cost. Windows could be maybe 15, windows and doors, maybe 15 to 20%. Um, air sealing on a home, like, what more, I guess, what kind of process does that look like? What, what kind of timeline does that add to your build your build process? Because they already do a bit of sealing, but it's obviously very loosey-goosey just to me. Yeah, like what, what kind of sealing are you talking about? Like just yeah. doing a better job of caulking around the windows? Like, Or, or you're talking Well, you have products. to understand where the air barrier is. Right. There's three different barriers to a house. There's an air barrier, a weather barrier, and a vapor barrier. And most people think that the vapor barrier and the air barrier are the same thing. And that that's far the furthest thing from the truth. Right. <laughs> so it depends on where you decide to put the air barrier. You can put the air barrier anywhere in a wall assembly. In Canada, the vapor barrier needs to go on the inside, and the weather right. barrier obviously needs to go on the outside. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, the air barrier could be your weather barrier as well, or it could be your vapor barrier as well, or it can be separate. So it doesn't necessarily have to add more time. It could be the same amount of time, but maybe just a more expensive product. Right. So and rather, I would factor yeah. that into probably it's either going to be added into the insulation cost or it could even be included in that. Because you're doing four times more insulation, we know that the bigger job you do, the cheaper it's going to be, right? So you're not going to spend four times more on insulation, uh, you might spend three times more because you'll get a better price on certain thing and the guys are already there exactly. working. So you kind of get rid of the setup cost, right? So that could be factored in as part of their their work. Okay. Um, but so, you could spend a l- little bit more on the on the materials themselves. Right, like the actual vapor barrier is probably a better product and rather than stapling it, you'd like acoustic seal it or whatever it's called and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. you could. Like we use like a, a peel and stick weather barrier that can be used as an air barrier as well in some of our projects. Oh, or you could use a fiber yeah. board, right? So the, um, the, the insulation, when you put in four times as much, do you have to increase like your your framing size and stuff like that? Like how yeah. are they, how are double you being able to, yeah, you're double studying. How are you meeting that? Requirement is it spray foam? I, I don't even like. I know spray foam can hit quite no. high numbers. Uh, I don't know if it can hit the requirement you need, but I'd recommend not doing spray foam when you get into no. a thick wall assembly because okay. when your wall is that thick, you need it to breathe. You need to you need to assume mm. that moisture will get into your wall assembly somehow, and then you got to think about what's going to happen once you get to that point. So you want huh. your wall to be able to dry in both directions, and spray foam will prevent that from happening. So we're a big advocate for products like rock wool. Because mold doesn't grow on it, it's naturally fire yeah, retardant. Yeah. Man, that's interesting. It's again, I've got a friend Tyler who knows all stuff, and he was telling me how he wanted to do his basement, and he said the same thing, not to spray foam. He was talking about a rigid product, product directly on the wall, and then kind of floating the studs out a little bit, so you kind of didn't have any thermal breaking, and then just good old fashioned bat insulation, but better stuff and a lot of it. Uh, I guess the trade off is you do start to lose a little bit of square footage uh, in your home because you're framing these walls out. Um, but uh, no, that, that's all super interesting. Um, the Talk to me about a passive solar home because you mentioned kind of a little bit if you're looking into the wind with your zipper undone, your jacket unzipped, that's obviously the worst uh, case scenario. And it's sort of implying, well, if you turn your back to it, you're better. Um, if you have a blank slate, you're not doing an infill project, what do you look for in terms of orientation of the home? So... A passive solar home and a certified passive house is very different. Yeah. So somebody who says that they have a passive solar home, that to me just says, oh, they tried to take advantage of the sun. They got big windows. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So which could hurt you when the sun's not out, right? And in my in my opinion, in 
actual experience is I built a certified passive home and uh, oriented it perfectly to take advantage of the sun in the colder months and blocked it in the warmer months. But what happened is that even in the colder months, I was overheating because I had, when the sun's on, the sun's on, you can't turn it off. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So you end up with an uncomfortable home. So if you're okay having uncomfortable homes for parts of the year, well then, yeah, sure. You can go the passive solar route and, you know, try to take advantage of the sun, but just know that, you can't, it's not like turning your thermostat up or down. It's kind of on or off sort of thing, right? Yeah. What do they do for, um, I'm just going to give you this little interesting scenario and I'd be curious to get your thoughts on it. I was in a home that was designed as a passive solar home and was built that way kind of in like the 90s, right? So someone was trying to be at the forefront of this technology and it was designed by an architect who specialized in early passive solar designed homes at the time. And it was a complicated house um, to the point that, they had this internal ventilation too, where they would try to take the warm air and circulate it as a means of cooling the home in the times that it was overheating and then heating it, the home in the times that it was cold. And to try to fill out, figure out the ductwork was already going to be quite difficult. But what made it worse was the roof trusses were supposed to breathe. So it had these vaulted ceilings, but they had these one-way vents to try to get some of the moisture over, out of the house. And then what happened, of course, is one of the owners, somewhere along the line, just sheathed right over those and turn the attic into like a humid box, which then rotted out the entire uh, roof structure. So do you still see these kind of circulating interior systems? And do you ever see cases where um, the operation of the home after the fact is just as as important as building the home up front? It doesn't have to be complicated, right? If I'm, I'm an advocate for doing things well that don't have moving parts that don't rely on humans humans intervening for them to work well right because we're not reliable they're not going to work well then we talked about how people just turn off their air that's what i'm saying like don't worry (laughs) about orientation obviously you need somebody who's working with it designed properly right to avoid certain issues but it doesn't have to be complicated focus on doing a well insulated airtight envelope and then sizing your equipment properly. That's all it mm-hmm. comes down to. And then it's just a matter of setting that equipment, set it and forget it, right? right. Set your ERV, it runs 24 seven, you hit your booster switch when you need it, that's it. And I say ERV because ERV allows the transfer of moisture through the core, whereas HRVs do not. Uh, so gotcha. okay. we want an ERV in our climate because we have different, we have, well, I don't know where you are, but here we have the really hot, humid summers and we got drier yeah, winters yeah. too. So we want to be able to keep that moisture in the winter and get rid of the moisture in the summer so the, it's not competing with the air conditioning. And uh, HRVs do not allow you to do that. So if you stick to that, you won't have any problems. Uh, once you start to complicate things, that's when people get scared. They don't know what to do with yeah. it. Uh, they're, they're, they just say, oh, screw it. They try to make it simple and then you run into all sorts of issues. Are you seeing that with your clients now or even with the ones that you build, a lot more tech being involved to kind of run the systems? Like are people wanting to get really tech heavy with like all these funky, because I'm seeing all these like new smart thermostats, smart vents. So every vent in your yeah. house manages the temperatures within each room. See, I hate can, all that stuff. I'm like, oh, so, yeah, someone says I'm going to need an it, app. I'm like, I'm not going to use it. So what you're saying is, the simpler it is, the more likely people will use it. Yeah. But are you exactly. doing a lot of tech-based stuff? Are you end up? Are you seeing a lot of clients wanting? It? Are you usually trying to deter them from that because it's more of a, I don't say gimmick, but basically a gimmick. To it's kind of cool to have a little screen on all your walls, yeah. but really it's not saving you any energy and probably just giving you more headache. 
Yeah, very few people come to us asking for that stuff. We do have some people that are, you know, like to geek out on this stuff, but yeah. they're even even those ones are keeping the system simple and they're really just geeking out on how much energy they save. So for example, I just found out <laughs> we did a, like an energy retrofit on like a hundred year old brick masonry home and we wrapped the whole outside of the house over the roof and everything. And him and his neighbor both turned off their thermostat or turned off their heat to see how long they could go. And it was like minus 20 out or something like that. The neighbor, I don't know, it took like, you know, less than an hour to to feel the temperature difference in the house. The client that we did the work for, it took 18 hours before he started to notice anything in right. the house. It started to drop. You did so, that earlier this, this winter, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I did my own uh, test trial of that same thing you blew up in your my 10 year old home with <laughs> my furnace gave out for like a week during the coldest uh, time of the year. Um, so let's talk a little bit of, of, about retrofits because obviously when you're building one of these things, you could you know, do whatever you want. It's a little harder when you get into these old buildings. What did you say you put outside the masonry? On that home, we ended up using spray foam, actually. Like, so you, it was actually a masonry building, like it wasn't wood frame at all. So uh, he ended up feeling more comfortable with that because it was it, it was going to adhere to the brick and mm-hmm. there was some yeah, brick yeah. issues. So it was kind of going to help add some structure to the building itself. So siding outside of that? Yeah, did you say you built out on the exterior as well? Okay. We did the outside over the roof. Like that's the the best way to improve the performance over the, of the roof building too. is on put a jacket over it, right? It's wow. called a chainsaw retrofit. Cut off the eaves, you do insulation on the outside, up over the roof and everything, and then you turn your attic into a into a conditioned space. Crazy. It's like the, there's a there's a spray foam company here and their office is an old house. And they've spray foamed the roof completely. It looks like snow. I think that's what they're going for. Really? But yeah, the this whole on the outside. Yeah, here. No it, way. On the exterior I of the building. It's just a promo thing. But yeah, I think that's what it's an actual thing. Maybe they're actually trying to save some energy. That is kind of funny. Um, when you get into stuff like that, um, how how can you still work within, say, setbacks that you might have with a neighboring property um, and fireproofing? Like, did you have to put extra fireproofing on that property because you were effectively making it closer to a neighbor? I mean, this is a nuanced uh, in question. That I'm case, sure. no. I think we had the room on right. that one. Uh, Trying to remember that one. If we had a minor variance, sorry, that was like four years ago. Yeah, that just kind of pops into my head because you get into. I mean, I live tight, in a. I live houses. in a very old home. I happen to have space between me and my neighbors, but a lot of Halifax is you know stacked narrow old homes where people want to get extra efficiency. In a lot of cases, they they don't even have an attic space, right? These are flat rolled bitumen roofs, um, yep. stone foundations. Energy efficiency was not a thought when they were built. If they have anything in them, sometimes they have seaweed. Uh, and then so you'll Oftentimes. get people. Yeah, you'll get people either doing blown in insulation from the outside if they're willing to kind of like damage their cedar shakes or they're going inside through the lath and plaster and just trying to fill these wall cavities. What do you tell someone who's got an old home like that? Like where, where should they start? Yeah, what's their options? Uh, we're always trying to go on the outside of a building. So the thing is, it depends on the city, but sometimes they're only looking at where the foundation is. So if you add insulation to your above grade walls, it doesn't okay. really affect setbacks or anything, but obviously uh, make okay. sure that you're not getting yourself in trouble. Don't take my word on that. Wait, can I build yeah. an addition yeah. on my house purely out of spray foam? <laughs> Just cantilever the whole house. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so I guess, uh, with yeah, regards to project. somebody trying to do a retrofit, it's going to vary depending on what their other goals are for the project. We can do stuff from the inside. The best way is always from the outside, uh, but we're always trying to improve the air tightness because if you're just adding insulation, we've done, before I knew what I know today, like we, we did do a project where we we're, you know, you drill holes, you blow cellulose insulation into the cavity, um, but that could actually cause other issues too. If, if 
a lot like a lot of these old houses for example they last so long because they have so much air leakage Mm -hmm. and moisture would get into the wall but then the heat loss from the house will kind of help it dry yeah yeah (laughs) right same with brick buildings we just did a 160 year old stone home too where we were really consistent like we had to do it from the inside because we didn't want to cover the stone on the outside right because it gives a character but we also didn't we also know that the stone buildings lasted 160 years because of all the heat loss of the building yeah right because it would dry it out they don't rot so you can't just we couldn't spray foam that house okay uh we we have to use uh we did a liquid applied air barrier which is permeable and then we used rock wool insulation neil's super nervous because he's doing all this to his house yeah i need need to ask you a question really quickly (laughs) if this is all right so forget forget about what people can do their house for a second i need to know what i can do to my building so literally (laughs) the phone call i took as i was walking in before we started this i was with a guy that does all my insulation and we're literally just going to punch a bunch of puck holes in the in the top of the uh, the basically the room, and then blow the cellulose down the walls. It's a three story building, and blow cellulose down the walls, and then do the same in the ceilings. And then you just said that's not necessarily the best option and can cause issues. What would you do in this situation? It's basically just a square box building. I'm trying to avoid removing the exterior because the siding's in good shape, and I'm trying to remove or avoid removing the drywall in the interior. Um, how does someone go about? making it more airtight and or adding insulation value. Should he stick to the attic and basement or flat roof? What's the main construction of the building? Wood frame. Is it like a balloon wood frame frame? So if you blow insulation into that area, what could be happening if you have moisture, any moisture problems in that wall assembly, Mm -hmm. that will now become a serious issue. If that cellulose gets wet. Right. Because there's no vapor barrier in there. It's its own ecosystem in there. Yeah. There could be just heat, like could be condensation happening, which the insulation might prevent that from happening. But if there's actual water leakage into that assembly somehow, the mold's going to grow on the insulation. It's going to wet. It's going to rot, start rotting more wood out. You'll run into other issues down the road. So now, go ahead, sorry. For air tightness, so so I it I'd be hesitant. You obviously, I I definitely recommend talking to an energy advisor because they can run if they know what they're doing, they can run a, I think it's called a woofy tester. Basically they mm-hmm. can check the dew point of a wall assembly as well. And they can, they can check other things. They can also obviously get a blower door test, see where the air leakage is. Cause wherever there's an air leakage, that could be where you have moisture problems too, right? If you have warm air that's shooting out of the building uh, in the colder months, that's going to condensate and then turn into a moisture issue. Mm-hmm. There's also a really cool product out there called Aero Barrier. Have you heard of it? I have not. Okay, so it originally it was designed, it was Standard called Aero Seal, yeah. and then it would it was used for ductwork. So they'd run this product through the ductwork of a home, and as this as it gets pressurized and it starts flowing through the system, as it goes through holes that are no bigger than I believe it's half an inch, it kind of builds up as it's escaping the hole and sticks to itself, and it seals up the holes. Hmm. They can do that for entire homes now. So we just did a video. If you go to our YouTube channel, you can see all the stuff that I'm talking about. We have YouTube videos about. Yeah. You can see that we'll we improved that. the air tightness of a building by over 60%, like four hours with this aero barrier. So you pressurize the whole house. They run this product through it, uh, and it can actually seal up all these small holes. Not the really hmm. big holes, but it'll seal up the small holes. So, so that, that and that's without be, ripping out all the drywall or doing anything. You're, you're pressurizing basically a finished home and then distrib- like putting this into the air, and it's it's filling all the little holes. Yeah, so we did it That's after cool. drywall, but That's before sick. painting and stuff. So you'll need to talk to them about what, like, if there's furniture and stuff in there, that becomes yeah, yeah, it's an not issue. The time to do it, yeah. But uh, if you hmm. if it's just drywall and it's empty, yeah, talk talk to the to the rep and 
they might have to like put plastic down. So there might be some additional costs for proper prep in that case, but it might yeah. be the, the safest way to make your house more tight. It's not always possible, yeah. um, but that could be a better route to go. Okay. And um, then you, you go back to what you said earlier, if you can do it on the outside, that's better. So like I'm going fully personal here. This is just answering. I've got questions. a personal question after this. Yeah. <laughs> so the other buildings we ripped the siding off and we just did like a, a two inch uh, foam on the outside, like something like that's a solid thing to add. It's not going to make it great, but it's better than what was there. And it doesn't hurt to throw that underneath your siding. So yeah, that would be a good way to do it. So what happens when you do that though, is that now you're walking only breathing the inside, which is fine. Uh, as long as it's not too thick. Yeah. Uh, if yeah. you do the two inches of foam, uh, what were you taping the joints with? Oh God, this was about a year and a half ago. Duct tape. The, the yeah, red, the probably red the regular tape, tape, what, tuck tape, whatever you okay. get from yeah. the so, store. So that's the tape that I wouldn't use on foam. Foam Perfect. expands and contracts. <laughs> right? So, so what happens is that look at foam, right? Stick it in the sun. Some of it, it'll shrink like crazy, right? So it expands yeah. and contracts. Tuck tape does not expand and contract. No. It's, it's just going to rip apart. So tuck tape is <laughs> tuck tape's going to, because you can use that as you put two inches of foam on your building. That's great. But yeah. you can now use that as your weather barrier and your air barrier. Right. So that's the best way to do it. You put the foam on, but then use tape like Siga or go to uh, uh, Pro Clima. They they have um, uh, four seven five. I'm pretty sure you, there's out in your end of the country. Either way, they'll send it yeah, to you. Yeah. Go to four seven four seven five dot com. They have good tapes. You spend more for the tape, but mm -hmm. once again, it's actually doing its job. Tuck tape's gonna look good until you cover it, and then I bet you if you go and take the siding off, you'll see a bunch of it's come come off because the foam's gonna move. Make sure you use shiplap foam as well. Do you have any concerns? Okay. And this, we're just totally asking questions about our own properties, but people can apply them to their own. Um, <laughs> I got two questions. One, I've got a big, you know, raw concrete foundation, totally exposed in my basement. Um, my thought was, and now I'm, I'm reevaluating everything. Foam. My thought was I was going to do a thin, uh, like one inch spray foam, and then I was going to float my studs out, and then I was going to um, fiberglass um, and vapor vapor barrier but you're saying i should just forego the the spray foam in general i was trying to create that thermal uh the 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 the, the solid do a rigid i think is the thing but yeah, yeah just go rigid instead yeah so rigid is the same thing but you can also rockwell does a rigid board as well you can do that mm. so spray foam is going to be expensive so you can just get the rigid board like the xps the pink or the blue stuff yeah, yeah. it's black some of it's black now uh so it's the extruded polystyrene if you use that and then tape the joints that'll be cheaper than having the spray foam company come in uh, and then you can do your two by four wall in front of that and whatever size bat you want to do. Like your two by four wall could be set out and then you could do an R22 Rockwell bat or you can yeah. just do your R14 bat. Gotcha. Um, that that would work. Uh, and that's something that we've done. You can also, like I said, use the Rockwell. Um, spray foam, if you're going to spray foam, I wouldn't, I'd do at least two inches. Well, I was just concerned yeah. about what you're saying about like um, the... The, the air tightness where it just yeah, the, loses the ability to breathe. Yeah. But the, oh, is, yeah, but is, if the if the foundation is dried out, I wouldn't do that on a fresh concrete. Uh, but if it's an older house and foundations had its chance to cure over the years and there's less moisture in it's it, 110. So yeah, so you're good. Um, <laughs> that dry. that could like if it's a stone foundation, I would approach that maybe a little bit differently. Okay. Uh, you might want to use the rock wall, something that's permeable. Uh, we won't get the air tightness out of like you would out of the foam, but it might be a safer bet to make sure that you maintain that stone. That being said, we have done foam. It depends on who you talk to. Uh, yeah. We haven't had issues on it, uh, so I wouldn't be as concerned about a foundation portion mm -hmm. like that in that case as as much as like the stone above grade. Right. Uh, that's the structure of the of the home up there because below grade um 
depend I guess it depends on if there's water proofing done on the exterior as well. Yeah. So is it a poured foundation? It's probably not a poured foundation. It, if it's it is actually a, a poured foundation. It's a very old, like it would have been early, oh, wow. early days. Like I think it started pouring foundations here in, in like 19, like 07, 1910 kind of in Halifax is when they started pouring foundations. Um, and this That's home was sick, 1910 concrete. and it, it's, it's a doozy of a foundation. Yeah. It really is. Pretty porous uh, though. Um, it's shockingly good. It's shockingly good. It might... The plates, I might do, I would probably approach that one with Rockwell comfort board for the rigid insulation to get rid of the thermal bridges, like you're saying, yeah. and then do Rockwell in between the studs as well. Cool. Uh, and then you could use something like uh, 475 has something called Intello Plus, which is like a smart vapor barrier. You can use that as your air barrier on the stud. So it's not the best way because every time you have a plug in there, it kind of penetrates your air barrier. Right. Uh, but that's permeable, so that allow moisture to travel, come and go through that wall assembly if it needs to. Cool, cool. With that system that you're saying to put in the basement there, like we have a lot of listeners that I would say do DIY, and a lot of them they're going to put basement apartments in and probably do the same thing that you're yeah. you're looking for rec room space maybe. But um, should they be concerned about trying to do this themselves? Like, are they going to royally screw something up by putting the boards themselves and then trying to insulate it all themselves? Because it seems like, and this is from a completely naive position, like it's not an overly complicated thing to do. And for some, while these guys it might be a cost savings when they go to install it, they install it themselves. Or should they be looking for a professional insulation company or an energy company to come and do it because they can royally screw things up if they just slap the board up without knowing yeah. what they're doing? Well, yes, they can screw it up, but <laughs> so can an insulation company, right? Yeah, There's a lot of companies out there who don't know what they're doing either because they've been doing it one way for a long time and they haven't continued with the building science and understand what's going on. That's why we do a lot of stuff in-house ourselves because it's hard to find the guys to do it. We might get an insulation company to come in to do all the bats, but we'll do the air barrier because they're just kind of piecework and they're trying to get in and out quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, so you run into some issues there. So usually, at least, I shouldn't say, in these cases, a lot of the guys who are more, or women who are kind of geeking out on this, they usually do a lot of their research and they and they might do a better right. job, uh, yeah. but sometimes yeah. they overthink it too and they run into other issues, Yeah. Right? yeah. So. Sure. Uh, so it, I, I'd find it's always good to find like a good general contractor, good or energy advisor who knows what they're talking about and actually has hands-on experience yeah. to, to talk about this stuff. Um, a lot of what, I mean, we're just kind of picking your brain here and, and using you as a free consultant here. Yeah. <laughs> um, tell me a little bit about your academy and, um, that kind of the consulting and coaching side of things that you do. Yeah. So the Conscious Builder Academy is being designed and we're building it. Uh, we're fair. We're still young, but we have lots of, uh, that's why it's the time to kind of get involved now. Yeah. Uh, the We're building this to help other contractors build conscious companies, right? So not only is it going to be designed around teaching people how to build better homes, but also how to stay in business because that's, you know, I'm basically designing this academy for what I wish I had 10 years ago. Right. <laughs> so when I, when I, I still have a lot to learn. Obviously, I think we're all learning every single day. But at yeah. that point, after being in business for a couple of years, I knew that I didn't know anything. <laughs> right. So there's a lot more. Sure, I was a good carpenter, but the, I didn't know anything about business. I made all yeah. sorts of mistakes. I lost thousands and thousands of dollars over the years. And that's what we're building this to help. So because our industry is built on small companies, it's not the big companies, it's small companies. And if it's easy for a small company to go out of business with one bad job. Right? Yeah. And a lot they, of guys, they really struggle to scale because, you know, you may be the best, um, 
electrician or the best framer or the best roofer ever, if you can't set up the systems, we talked about this in a, in a business yep. development episode. Um, it doesn't matter if you don't have the business acumen that can grow a team and be sustainable and, and all these sort of things. Yeah. So that's exactly what we're building is to help people if they want to scale, right? Down the road, I have all sorts of ideas for being able to help people with the business side. So maybe they can just focus on their on their craft and their trade yeah. and maybe, you know, take over more of the marketing stuff. Maybe we have a bunch of conscious builder companies around there, but they're all own. Maybe it's a more of a licensing as opposed to right, right. as opposed to something like that. You know, but I see that's where we're going with this is it depends on the level, but we're starting with the education sides showing people what's possible. We're helping them where they need the help or where, where they feel they need the help, but we'll, we'll be able to help and all that because, you know, I've been there, I've done that. Uh, I've made the mistakes. So if we can help somebody else uh, avoid those mistakes, that that's the goal ultimately. No, I think that's cool. I saw that on your website. Again, we'll link to all that stuff. There was a lot of people I think who listen to this that are either doing some of these things themselves and growing into a business, whether they intended to or not. A lot of people start off it's amazing how you go from a DIY to a DI for other people yeah. uh, pretty quickly. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Um, some of the things, my personal takeaways from this is is definitely consult uh, a professional when insulating, which Before I, I you do it for granted. I may have made some mistakes. Um, two, I love the fact that you're saying you advise people and, and the way you, you model this is essentially to keep it simple because I've even had the situation here where Prior to us getting very uh, technological with heat pumps, the big thing around here were ETS units oh, and yes. this time of day savings. And people will even look at one of those. It's like, what is this big you know, box in my metal. basement? It's like, well, kind of like, you know, those hot rocks back in the day? That's <laughs> sort of what's going on in this thing here. And it stores energy at night when those coach power rates are reduced and then it uses the energy during the day and then you've got these timers on your hot water. They actually work pretty good. They work, they work very good. They're... Yeah. Um, but I've had a lot of people, their eyes just glaze over when I tell them any of this and then they don't actually get use out of the system. So, yeah. um, kind of like a car, right? People don't need to know how it works. They just need to know that when they push the gas, it goes forward. And when you push the brake, it stops. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's vroom, the same vroom. sort of thing. <laughs> I, I, I do want to, I do want to touch though on the heat pump. So on the energy savings is that you have to think of it differently. Like if you're in a natural gas now, you can't, it, it can make sense or it does make sense to turn it down even at night, right? When you don't need it as warm, maybe like for me, for example, I like it cold when I sleep. So the house can drop down at night and then you heat it up during the day when you're home. And there, or, you know, if, you, if you're leaving, most people are working from home, it depends. You can't do that with heat pumps. Right. Because heat pumps have a backup, but it's an electric resistance backup. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you, you need to set it and forget it or else you don't get the energy savings. You'll actually be costing, it'll spend you or cost you more on energy if you're trying to work with, costs going up and down because it thinks that it, it can't keep up. So the backup kicks in and then you're paying more for the electric resistance. Whereas you want to make sure you maintain so the heat pump because that's more efficient. So you shouldn't just be going like up, 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 down, 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 down. No? Exactly. I, I you just want to set this. it, leave it. I get yeah. into this battle all the time because people are turning them up and down. I'm like, 18. you just set it to the temperature you need it at yeah. and leave it there. Because also your home carries a certain amount of residual heat too. Like all the objects in your house like they're going to carry that heat that's also going to help keep it at a certain level so yeah. if you're constantly having to reheat Man, and recool everything like the, we're turning like the old dad show hands off the thermostat <laughs> but uh yeah uh, did you touch my did, who touched your thing my yeah. thing you just went on yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh um any last questions any last thoughts neil I, I have one last yeah. question that I'm going to ask if anyone's still listening at this point what would you say the best way to heat your home is as a system, like a ducted heat pump system, uh, mini split ductless, uh, electric baseboards, 
propane furnace is like what is the best way to heat and cool would you say like Ooh, i don't know what do you have your that's house a loaded question it I is a bit it. of a loaded question and i just everyone's got their opinion and the common answer i get is there's no cheap way to heat or cool your home and they all suck and i'm like well <laughs> there's got to be an option here what what would you recommend to someone right now uh yeah it, we do a bunch of different ones and it comes down to what the priorities of the homeowner are i mm-hmm. like mini splits uh yeah. if they have to be in the right house though. Cause that would, they also force you to do a lot of different mini splits. If it's not like an open space, right. Yeah. Because yeah. of the code and because of where you need heating and if it can't maintain heat, right. If it's not an efficient home, then mini splits don't make sense. Yeah. Uh, what I like about mini splits is that each one is a zone, right? You can have one in each room and set it at different, different temperatures if you want. Mm-hmm. So th- I'm a huge, huge fan of that. And then you have a ducted ERV system. So to me, if you're okay with mini splits and the design of the home works out well, that makes sense uh, because of the zoning and because you can have a fully ducted, ventilated uh, home through the ERV system. So now like that being said, mini split ERV. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, you could, now you could go with baseboard heating, but then you still don't, you have an air conditioning problem. Then, right, right, right. So then yeah, you still end the up with the mini splits, doing yeah. something. Yeah. Um, and then you still need the fresh air system. So it's not necessarily saving you money. Uh, it could a little bit because the, the hyperheat models that also heat uh, versus just getting an air conditioning mini split, there's a cost difference, right? So, mm-hmm. but who likes to listen to baseboard heatings clicking as they come on and off, right? So, yeah, yeah. Uh, so mini splits have come a long way. I'm a fan of that. Now, if you did go with the central, the nice thing about doing a ducted system is you can do like the Mitsubishi Zuba system, which is still an air source heat pump, and you don't have the wall mounted units. So, if you don't right. like the wall mounted yeah, yeah. units, you can also get yeah. ceiling cassettes and like semi ducted units. Uh, so it really depends on the style and what you're going for for the home. Um, what you can also do with a fully ducted system is you can have what's called a semi-ducted ventilation system. So you can still, or partially ducted, you can still ventilate all of your bathrooms, for example, through the ERV system, but or the fresh air system, but you can uh, supply the fresh air through the ductwork that's already there. So you can save some costs oh, there. Yeah. And that can usually be the cheapest route to go for a, it's a good nice. value way to do it. Yeah, right on. Makes sense. Do you... Uh, this is just curious about you. Do you do you prefer now the business development and the educational part of things even more than you like the building? Yeah, I like the business. I'm I'm a I like potential, right? What can something grow into, right? And there's a huge amount of potential on the business side. Uh, I still yeah. like obviously enjoy the business side, but mm-hmm. I don't enjoy swinging the hammer on site like I enjoy. Uh, I enjoy building the business over building the house, but right. I still yeah. like. Uh, supporting the team so that they have what they need in order to build the house. Cause that's how, we, that's how I learned, right? If we weren't doing the home building and the renovation side, uh, I wouldn't have as much to talk about and learn from Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, through, through all the experience. Yeah. With that being said, I think there's a question that we ask every single guest that we have on here. And I think it fits for you because you're, you're a business owner and you're kind of mentioning that you're making the transition from swinging the hammer to actually running the business and doing the coaching. And that's, I guess, what does success mean to you? Um, and that, that can be anything on your business front and your, your time front, your family, whatever it is. Um, but we're just always curious to see what someone like yourself, a business owner or someone that's transitioning into it, why they're doing it and what the success would mean to them. Success to me would be freedom and freedom doesn't mean, uh, necessarily my, I guess it's freedom to work on whatever I want to at that point. I'm never going to quit working. I'm never going to retire. I don't, I don't see that at any point in my life because yeah. I'll, we all know what what happens when you retire. It's it's yeah. the ability to, to choose what I want 
to work on, right? To be able to work from wherever I want, to give my son or my wife the time that they deserve uh, when they want it sort of thing, right? To, to have that freedom to, to do those types of things. I'm not quite there yet. There's a lot of things that we're still working, but kind of like we talked about earlier, it's, it's we often put more stuff on our, on our plate and then we can, <laughs> yeah. then we can eat. And I think I'll always be doing that. So, but to me, you know, to some extent, that's still freedom. I'm still working on projects that I want to do. There's still a lot of stuff that I don't like to do. So you know, You're making extent, that choice. Uh, I have, yeah, I've, I've done that. There, you know, there's a yeah. few things that I still want to get off my list. Um, but for the most part, I think I'm, I'm pretty well there. Yeah. And obviously when you have something that you're interested in, which you clearly are, uh, it kind of helps make it easier to, to build that business, but also feel free within the confines of having to still work. Right. But you feel free within it. Um, all right, man. Thanks so much. This is Casey Gray, the conscious builder. We're going to link to everything in there. Do you want to plug anything while you're here? Yeah, well, for any of the contractors out there, you know, definitely go to ConsciousBuilderAcademy.com. We got a lot of stuff going out there, uh, including our most recent program that we'll, we'll be releasing in April, which is how to market passive homes, uh, which is not just passive homes. It's how to market high performance homes. Like yeah, I'm yeah. locking cool. in contracts without doing quotes. Right. And we're going to show people how to do that. I got wow. seven mil, over seven million dollars worth of work locked in and wow. I don't do quotes for them. So wow, uh, nice. we'll show people. The people think it's work. only six million dollars worth of work, but <laughs> they don't have a quote yet. So there you go. <laughs> no, that's very cool, man. Uh, we're always interested in the business side of things as, as well as the education. So that's awesome. Thanks so much for for joining us. And, yeah. and thanks, we'll, Casey. Uh, touch base again. Sometime. Thanks for having me. Take Great care. conversation. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening, Master Keys Podcast. Like, follow, subscribe, share, all that good stuff. Thanks for coming along. <laughs> Bye. Later. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you use. And if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, give us a rating and send us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on social media at Master Keys Podcast. See you next week. When I was broke, I had rich habits. When I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh.